It is Monday, my dudes. March 7th, 2022. Unbelievable. Already one-third of the way. Well, let's see here. March is the third month, three over 12, one-fourth. We're already a fourth of the way through the year. Coming right up on it. Years going by. Too quick. Too quick. Got to seize the day. That's what Mondays are for. In light of what's going on in Europe, I thought I'd read a little bit from Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. This comes towards the end of the book, in the second half of the book anyways, as Napoleon is marching his way across Russia, uh, driving them back even to Moscow. Uh, and the, the Russian people are sort of left having to deal with this sense of, you know, what the heck is, what's going on? What's up with this? How are we, how are we to react to this, this nobody? Because at the time, Europe was, you know, largely defined by uh, monarchies, by tradition. Um, nations were characterized by their ruling families. And Napoleon just shattered all of that. Napoleon was a you know a guy who served in the military. He was a nobody, um, and he just redefined what it meant to be a leader, to be a ruler, to um, lead a nation. He redefined the relationships between nations. He was just a, a total novelty. So much so that people during uh, his lifetime people in Europe at the time, some of them thought that he was the Antichrist. They thought that he was you know, some kind of uh, incarnation of Satan himself to totally destroy and reorganize the existing order. Really wild. Nothing like him had, uh, in living memory at least, nothing like him had come to pass. So that's a little bit of the backdrop. He's fought his way across... Uh, Russia and is now threatening Moscow and the defense of Moscow is just not holding. So this picks up with the main character, Pierre. Um, you don't need too much backstory on him, but uh, yeah, this, this is really interesting. This little passage right here. Moscow, meanwhile, was empty. There were still people in the city. A 50th part of all the former inhabitants still remained in it, but it was empty. It was deserted as a dying queenless hive is deserted. In a queenless hive, there is no life left. Yet, at a superficial glance, it seems as much alive as other hives. In the hot rays of the midday sun, the bees soar as gaily around the queenless hive as around other hives. From a distance, it smells of honey like the rest, and the bees fly in and out of it just the same. Yet one has but to watch in a little, but yet but one has yet one has but to watch it a little to see that there is no life in the hive. The flight of the bees is not as in living hives. The smell and the sound that meet the beekeeper are changed. When the beekeeper strikes the wall of the sick hive instead of the instant Unanimous response, the buzzing of tens of thousands of bees menacingly arching their backs, and by the rapid stroke of their wings making the whirring, living sound, he is greeted by a disconnected, droning hum from different parts of the deserted hive. From 
the alighting board comes not as of old the spiritous fragrant smell of honey and bitterness and the whiff of heat from the multitudes within a smell of chill emptiness and decay mingles with the scent of honey around the entrance there is now no throng of guards arching their backs trumpeting the menace ready to die in its defense there is heard no more the low even hum the buzz of toil like the singing of boiling water but the broken discordant uproar of disorder comes forth the black long-shaped body or long-shaped honey-smeared workers fly timidly and furtively in and out of the hive they do not sting but crawl away at the sight of danger of old they flew in only with their bags of honey and flew out empty but now they fly out with their burdens the beekeepers open the lower partitions and peer into the lower half of the hive instead of the cluster of black sleek bees clinging on each other's legs hanging to the lower side of the partition and with an unbroken hum of toil building at the wax drowsy withered bees wander listlessly about over the roof and walls of the hive instead of the cleanly glued up floor swept by the bees wings there are now bits of wax excrement dying bees feebly kicking and dead bees lying not cleared away on the floor the beekeeper opens the upper door and examines the supper of the hive in place of the close rows of bees sealing up every gap left in the combs and fostering the brood he sees only the skillful complex edifice of combs and even in this the virginal purity of the old days is gone all is forsaken and soiled black stranger bees scurry swiftly and stealthily about the combs in search of plunder while the dried up shrunken listless old looking bees of the hive wander slowly about doing nothing to hinder them having lost every desire and sense of life drones gadflies wasps and butterflies flutter about aimlessly brushing their wings against the walls of the hive here and there between the cells full of dead brood and honey is heard an angry buzz here and there a couple of bees from an old habit and custom though they know not why they do it are cleaning the hive painfully dragging away a dead bee or a wasp a task beyond their strength in another corner two other two other old bees are languidly fighting or cleaning themselves or feeding one another themselves unaware whether with friendly or hostile intent elsewhere a crowd of bees squeezing one another is falling upon some victim beating and crushing it and the killed or enfeebled bee drops slowly light as a feather on the heap of corpses the beekeeper parts two center partitions to look at the nursery instead of the dense black rings of thousands of bees sitting back to back watching the high mysteries of the work of generation he sees hundreds of dejected lifeless and slumbering wrecks of bees almost all have died unconscious of their coming end sitting in the holy place which they had watched now no more 
they reek of death and corruption, but a few of them still stir, rise up, fly languidly, and settle on the hand of the foe, without the spirit to die stinging him. The rest are dead, and as easily brushed aside as fish's scales. The beekeeper closes the partition, chalks a mark on the hive, and chooses his own time, breaks it up, and burns it. So is Moscow deserted as Napoleon, weary, uneasy, frowning, paced up and down at the Kermakolinsky wall, waiting, awaiting that merely external, but still in his mind essential observance of the proprieties, a deputation. Some few men were still astir in odd corners of Moscow, aimlessly following their old habits with no understanding of what they were doing. When, with due circumspectness, Napoleon was informed that Moscow was deserted, he looked wrathfully at his informant, and turning his back on him, went on pacing up and down in silence. Moscow deserted. Yeah. Right now, with Ukraine and Russia... It's not a it's not a popular opinion, but uh, Ukraine is not a historically been a good neighbor, a good ally. Um, they've often tried to play the West against Russia, play Russia against the West, but we can't fault them for that. They are they are very weak and vulnerable, such a vulnerable country. You know, and they've the the West hasn't offered them much in the way of friendship either, so. Anything they can do to secure their position, I think, is fairly warranted. War is the sum of all evils. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. But not unexpected. In every generation, there are moments that reshape, redefine, totally alter, and bring the end of old orders. We shouldn't be surprised or shocked or alarmed by that. We should just expect it. We know that through great literature. We know that through history. You know, this example, this is you know, a Russian novel, um, and in it, Napoleon is doing precisely what Putin is doing to Ukraine. So, you know, turn and turn about. Nothing is new under the sun. It's all been done before. We've all, we've seen these things play out. The thing, though, is Pierre, the main character in this story, he has a terrible time developing the sort of character to live a good life. He's, it's a good novel because he's the, the main character is preoccupied by the question of what am I to do? What am I supposed to do right now? What am I doing with my life? Um, and we don't, we can't necessarily relate exactly because he's a wealthy landowner in the Russian culture. He sort of has everything requisite in terms of just the mechanics of life. We're sort of spared some of this difficulty if we have a job, you know, eight hours of our day is taken up with, you know, trying to add value to someone else's endeavor, you know, making it our endeavor, adding value, um, you know, uh, being a productive, you know, uh, helpful, skillful employee. But he doesn't have that. All of his time is unstructured. And he, you know, he goes through life, he tries to find philosophical fulfillment and just utterly, you know, he's utterly lost and nihilistic. And then he joins the Freemasons and becomes... Um, more overtly religious and becomes a great contributor to society, always seeking to do good to all people at all times. 
and he kind of gets lost there too. He doesn't understand, you know, what what is the point of that? And he around that same time he also sees the fall of Moscow. He's he fights uh, in some of the the battles surrounding the city. So there's a sense of yeah. After doing that, well, what am I what am I to do now? And eventually, finally, he just settles on living this. Eventually, he's able to get right down to the business of living a joyful, productive, connected, interconnected with other people life. And, uh, you know, with people who love him and who he loves. I think that's, that's the takeaway of what's going on in the world today. You know, we don't know what's going on. We can't know. We know that the media is deeply, deeply corrupt and dishonest. We know that our politicians are deeply, deeply corrupt and dishonest. We know um, that it's probably the same in other countries. In fact, uh, I'm broadcasting this from the United States of America. We have fantastic institutions in this country, and we still know them to be corrupt and dishonest. So we can assume that given how phenomenal our institutions are, if they are this way here, then they probably are in a similar state in other countries. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we cannot control, but I think it is comforting to remember that these days are just like days faced in many other generations. The same, but different. And, uh, in these oppor- in these these circumstances we have the opportunity to develop to gain to become more whole more complete individuals to live and to pour ourselves into the lives of other people i find that encouraging it is a discouraging threatening dark world we're living in right now but such circumstances are i think a means by which we have the opportunity to you know, become, transcend the self and become a part of a larger, a larger movement. So, you know, be kind to the people who are close to you, love them well, learn to love them well, learn to be love, accept love from other people, accept kindness from other people, um, connect with people. If you don't believe in God, go to church anyways. You don't even have to lie about it. Somebody says, you know, so like, what's your background? You tell them, hey, I don't believe in anything. I'm just, you know, it's no time to be alone. So get connected. Build your ark before the flood. Yep. Once again, that was a reading from Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. Until next time, peace.